Well, what blew my mind about that whole situation was I could not believe after, say, the first two, I just cannot believe that they didn't run a chain catcher or a chain guide. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining me today is returning guest and founder of Zero Friction Cycling, Adam Karen. Now, uh, for those of you who've listened to our podcast for a little bit, you know that Adam has been on before, as I just mentioned. He was on in September, and uh, his the chat that we had with him was truly one of the most eye-opening uh, conversations that we've had in, in recent memory on, on endurance innovation. And mostly it's because I usually pick topics that I know quite a bit about just because I can uh, sound smart in my head. Uh, and this was one of those. This was one of the ones where I thought that, you know, I kind of had a handle on uh, on drivetrain friction and, and everything that went into it. And then uh, our conversation with Adam disabused me of that notion. And it's uh, it's one of my favorite things is to, to be proven that I actually don't know anything. And that, that, like I said, that was one of those conversations. And one of the um, one of the uh, I suppose outcomes of that chat that we had with Adam back in September was the fact that uh, there's still so many more questions that we wanted to post to him, and uh, we didn't want to have a two and a half hour episode. And so we uh, we said right then and there that we were going to have him back. So here he is, Adam. Forgive the rambling introduction. It's uh, it's a true pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for carving out a little bit of time in your busy schedule for us and uh, coming back on. Oh, that's no, a great pleasure. Thank you, Michael, for having me uh, having me back. And I'm, I really like to hear the rambling explanations. I think hopefully, um, or introductions. I think maybe I'm rubbing <laughs> off on you. So that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Listeners, uh, you don't know this, but uh, you, you know, usually we'll we'll have a, a little preamble before we start recording. Uh, and usually it's you know sometimes it's two minutes, sometimes it's three, four, five, ten. And uh, I'm looking at my uh, at my clock right now, and it's been thirty. We've been recording for thirty minutes where we've just been chatting back and forth. About about, uh, about what's going on with uh, zero friction and, and Adam and uh, and his latest test. So yeah, there's been uh, this has been a, an in depth conversation already before we even formally started the the episode. It's funny, there's so many things going on just in this tiny little sphere of uh, of low friction. So um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's all happening on all fronts. That's right. That's awesome. So, um, Adam, as I said, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, the the topics that I was really interested in uh, in having you weigh in on, and that uh, we didn't get a chance to cover last time you spoke, uh, there were there were specifically there were three. So I'll I'll throw them out now, and then we'll we'll dive right into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is the the question of uh, of one by drivetrains. There's some pros and cons, which. Uh, are you know they're kind of percolating into the the triathlon marketplace which is where you know i probably spend most of my time um then you mentioned you kind of teased this in our last uh conversation that not all chains are created equal so i definitely want to hear your thoughts on the the various chains and then finally um you you mentioned uh this was right around the time where shimano's uh, t- brand new Durace 12 speed was hitting the market, I think, when we spoke last. And uh, there was a, a key difference between their offering in 12 speed and SRAM's offering in 12 speed, which has obviously been around on the market for a little while. Um, and that's something that I want to talk about too. So hopefully those three topics will give us, I'm actually very confident that those three topics will give us plenty, plenty of fodder for an in-depth conversation today. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's talk about one buy. For folks who are maybe not super familiar, uh, just so that we're all on the same page, uh, when we talk about one buy, this means that we only have one chain ring in the front, as opposed to a traditional two buy or, you know, in years past, three buy. Um, so one buy, only a single chain ring in the front. I guess it came from mountain biking, and then it and then it became big in, in cross and, and gravel. And now you see it more and more on uh, on road and even sometimes on TT and, and, uh, and triathlon. 
Um, and in, uh, you know, the advantages and we can talk about the advantages in mountain biking and in gravel and in cross, but that's, that's mostly from, I, I think from shifting and, and ease of gear selection. Um, but in triathlon specifically, the, the touted benefit is aerodynamics, right? So you obviously, you lose the front derailleur, uh, on some modern frames, they have a, a, a cute little way where you don't even have the hanger. There's a little port that, that gets covered up. So there's nothing on the, on the down tube there. Oh, sorry, on the on the seat tube there, and uh, you don't have a, an extra chain ring, and so you save a little bit of weight. You probably save a little bit in aerodynamic drag, but there's there is a hidden cost, I suspect, and this is really what I want Adam to uh, to weigh in on. What sort of uh, potential penalties are we paying in drivetrain drag if we're going to a one by system? Yeah, overall, so the drivetrain drag, um, it's really going to come from, I guess, one one of the ways to optimize your uh, efficiency from the chain which is your obviously your big one um is to be running i guess as large a chain ring and cogs for a given gear inches as you can because the larger the chain ring yeah that you have so most of your chain friction is is coming from you know so if you imagine when the links are straight in the top span of your chain under load that's not actually creating any mm-hmm. losses the losses are going to come when those links or the parts of your chain link need to articulate around your chain ring and obviously they need to articulate around your uh, cassette and um, there's lower friction uh, components as they you know um, reticulate back off the bottom of the chain ring and snaking through your uh, pulley wheels and uh, you know that, that's a lower load so there's there's less uh, less friction there but obviously the higher the load that you are um, subjecting the links to when they need to articulate um, then that's where your losses are coming from in your chain friction and it adds up because there's just you know yeah, a lot of parts in the chain and uh, you know it's there's a lot of link articulations happening under under pretty high load as you're pedaling along okay makes sense and so the less they have to bend obviously then the lower friction you're going to have in your um, in your chain so that's where um, Obviously, the oversized pulley wheel systems uh, really sort of came from, and it's been very well proven. And, and you know, physics and maths all sort of back it up pretty pretty solidly as well. That the the less the links need to articulate around a particular radius, then the lower the friction you're going to have for that given load. So that's where you often see in say the um, the big uh, TTs in like the Tour de France and so on, where they're running 58, 60 tooth chain rings. Um, and it's not because they need that 60 by 11 um, gear ratio. <laughs> what, they're, what they're wanting to do is for 80, at least hopefully 80% of the time trial, they want to be obviously in a big ring and for that given gear inches at that speed they're traveling, be in a nice big cog mm. and have the chain in a pretty straight chain line. So they're, oh, interesting. they're selecting their, yeah, so they're selecting the chain ring size and their cassette ratio. So they may run... For instance, sometimes people think, okay, flat, um, fairly flat time trial. Uh, I'm going to run an 11.23, so a really close block cassette. Mm-hmm. That's what I've done in the past. Yeah, that's that's definitely the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but perhaps it's pretty, perhaps it's pretty windy, um, and there's a section where it's it's really you know slowing you down a fair bit. You might only be doing sort of 35 k's an hour because it's a pretty block headwind, and so you've got the chain a fair way up the cassette because on say an 11.23, obviously your 23 is your that's your biggest cog. Um, mm-hmm. and then you come across your next cog down is, is going to be a 21. Whereas if you've got, for instance, say, um, an 1130 cassette on, then your 23 is in a pretty straight, uh, chain line angle. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if that's the gear you need, then it's much better to have the 23 sitting a lot further across than it is to have it sitting all the way up towards your, your spokes. Mm. So matching your chain ring size and your uh, you know what your cassette ratio is going to be so that your cogs are in the the, the spot that you want them or need them for you know for that particular time trial mm-hmm. that's that's where they're making those selections um and the other advantage with a big chain ring apart from the fact that you get the lesser articulation uh obviously at the front and it enables you to run a bigger cog at the back for a given gear inches uh and you can then look to place that those cogs in in the right spot in your cassette um, is that bigger chain rings for a given power um, will have less tension so because there's less leverage from your crank over that chain ring. So if you're doing, say, 250 watts and you're doing 100 cadence mm-hmm. and you have uh, a 58-tooth chain ring or a 55-tooth chain, which is, which is a bit more sane for, 
for mortals and not world tour pros. <laughs> there is less tension in the top span of that chain versus if we compare it to say, you know, something substantially smaller, say like a mountain bike chain, which is, might be sort of 32 teeth. That same power hmm. going through same cadence, same crank length, there's going to be a lot more tension in the top span of the chain for that given power because of the smaller chain ring. Oh, that makes sense. I was trying to do the math, but it's because it's because your chain is moving faster. So that means it, in order to carry the same power, there's less tension if the if the chain speed is higher. And the chain speed is higher is because your 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 ring is bigger. So that's 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 how that math makes sense in my head. Yeah, there's a, and there's there is a uh, I guess a torque or leverage component as well. So uh, this when when you're pressing on the pedal, uh, so if you imagine say the the pedal on your crank, um, on the it's easy to imagine on the drive side. Yep. You're pushing down on the pedal. What's stopping the crank from spinning? is the chain. Mm -hmm. So now if you've got, say, um, a 58 tooth or 60 tooth chain ring on an 170 uh, mil crank, that, that chain's not that far short of where the, the force is being applied on the end of the crank. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas if you imagine that now on a, um, on a 32 tooth chain ring, yeah, so you've got a lot more torque leverage over that over that chain. So you, for a given power, even at the same cadence, same length uh, crank, yep. you're just simply putting more torque or more tension into that that chain. And so, with a bigger ring, the one you have lesser articulation uh, of the links, which is lower friction at the front. You've got lesser articulation at the rear because you're able to run a bigger cog for the same um, gear inches, mm -hmm. and those articulations are happening under lower tension, even though it's the same power. So there's all these so there's sort of three um, advantages that step up. So you, and each one adds a little bit of efficiency. Um, so the lesser articulation at the front, lesser at the rear, and they're happening under lower tension. Hmm. And so on the flip side of that is that obviously if um, and this is where it starts to come in. And that I'm going to try not to sound like I'm really picking on SRAM too much through this episode. Um, because I, like, spoiler alert, right? Yeah, spoiler alert. It's one of these things like I really like a lot of what SRAM does. Um, I think they like the way they pioneered one by in, especially in mountain bike was has been absolutely brilliant. Um, and they were absolutely correct, uh, and proved Shimano wrong, who doggedly stuck to two by for a very long time. Um, and you know, they've been they they pioneered the wireless, which has also been uh, brilliant on, on a number of fronts. Mm -hmm. they've, they've done some really, really great stuff. Um, and they've driven you know things forward in, in some areas of cycling, you know, really that probably wouldn't have happened or taken a lot longer. You know, Shimano on the other side, they do things in, in Shimano way. Um, and Shimano, um, you know also do some really great stuff, uh, but on some different sides of things. So Shimano tends to be, you know, very refined. They're really known, obviously, for their amazing shifting, especially at the front. Right. Uh, really efficient drivetrains and chains and so on. So they kind of, they each have their strengths and, uh, you know, on, on certain aspects. And, but, you know, which strength applies to you and your cycling or racing is, is something for each person to sort of weigh up. And this is where sometimes with, a path that SRAM has gone down, at, I guess, with, with say, the Axis Road, uh, from an efficiency perspective, hasn't been, um, in mine and, and many others, um, based, again, on known facts, physics, maths, um, the choice to go with, um, especially with the Axis Road, to go to a 10-tooth on the cassette. Yeah. Um, and thereby, um, generally smaller chain rings. So a lot of their group sets have been, you know, sort of like a... A 3250, sorry, a 3450, I think, and a 3248. Um, you know, you've got the same range, you've got the same um, gear inches at the end of the day in your sort of 5010 versus uh, versus previous. But mm -hmm. yeah, with a 50 tooth, you're, you're versus say a 52 to a 54, you've got um, yeah, it's it's just simply going to be less efficient because you've got more articulation at the front. You're going to need to run a smaller cog for the given gear inches at the rear. And those articulations are going to be at greater tension versus um, a larger chain ring. And so we see with Shimano, obviously, when they've stepped into 12 speed, um, they very, very deliberately did not go down the 10 tooth path, thankfully, mm -hmm. uh, literally because it's simply because of an efficiency standpoint. There's absolutely, it's, it's just not the right call from an efficiency standpoint to, um, to go smaller. 
um, it is much more efficient to stay larger. Right. And uh, and Campy obviously stayed with uh, with the eleven tooth and and you know good size chain rings um, for their uh, Campy tool speed as well. Right. So you've answered kind of the last question of the uh, of the 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 SRAM versus Shimano uh, on the on the twelve speed side. But what are we? Uh, how does that translate to the to the one by conversation? So if you're if you're going to lose one of those mm. one of those two chain rings, uh, yeah. how, how does how does this apply? So the one by conversation. So depending on your obviously your course and so on. Um, one by will overall obviously be a bit faster because um, you know if you can get the the ring size and your cassette optimized that you're not going to need to be grinding away in you know maximum chain line angle for a decent chunk of the TT because you want you want to keep that chain line angle fairly straight. So if you're going to be mm-hmm. going one by, but for a lot of it you're going to be really struggling with the gear selection because you're sort of maxing out what range you need. Um, but uh, and here's where again, not not <laughs> it's going to sound like a bashing SRAM, but the one by versus two by conversation. So one of the main drivers for people going one by is to lose the front mech. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's front mechs and there's front mechs. If you see the new Shimano 12-speed front mech, it is tiny. It is absolutely tiny. Mm. Um, it's it's not much. I haven't bigger. seen it yet, admittedly. It is. It is something else. It is when I was. That was one of the um, oh, most pleasing parts of the, the group set launch from from my perspective was this hmm. the tiny size of okay. the front mech, um, and you know, like it, it's it's not going to be that much different their front mech than a lot of the chain catches that are on the market. Hmm. And um, I've typically been an advocate of always running a chain catcher uh, for one buy uh, for road because it um, one of the uh, a bit of a segue, but do you remember the Aqua Blue with the three T bikes that were the, that were the first to yes, try to push one bike? Yes, and they had. I remember. Yeah, they I had remember a lot of issues. Being not super successful because of that. No, yeah. no, so they had some really bad, badly timed chain drops uh, that cost them some races and cost people on the team some important career, you know, moments uh, for their own personal career, just because of chain drops. Mm-hmm. And so, why why would they get so many chain drops riding on the road? Whereas, so for instance, my XE bikes don't have a chain catcher, and I've dropped the chain once in a, a long, long time. Mm. So, why can I ride over all this stuff? Uh, you know, all these bumps. So, yes, I've got a clutch derailleur, but um, you know, still, it's got no chain yeah. catcher. Oh, that was going to some... be my first guess. Yeah, but uh, we've got we've got a whole bunch of pretty you know bad bad bumps that we're traveling over. So. You know what's what's the difference? So yes, we've got narrow wide chain rings. Sure. Now you can get some one by specific chain rings, which typically have taller teeth, uh, and or they can be a bit of a narrow wide system as well as the taller teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a road bike or a time trial bike, um, where things really come in for the chain drops and where people still get caught out with chain drops, even when they have the one by specific rings, is you're just traveling a lot faster. So when your back wheel spins, if you spin your back wheel. There is a friction interface between, obviously, the seal of the free hub, mm-hmm. um, and you know, basically between your back wheel and the free hub. There's a seal there, and obviously, there's also some drag between the actual free hub mechanism itself. Now, this varies a fair bit from wheel to wheel. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where sometimes, if you say pedal a back wheel in the stand uh, up to a good speed and let go of the pedals, um, often you can see your crank turning around. So right, yep, yeah. I'm some, sure we've all seen that. Yep. So now some bikes that doesn't happen. Um, it could be they've got a really stiff bottom bracket, or it could be that they've got a really low friction interface between their back wheel and their free hub, um, and so there's not much drive from that that back wheel to try to turn the free hub. Mm-hmm. And some can be where there's actually a decent amount of sort of uh, free hub drag there because of the seal and because of the free hub mechanism, and the back wheel will obviously want to try to turn that free hub um, the same direction the wheel spinning. And what's happening is that when you stop, say you're, let's say you're riding at 40, 45 k's an hour and you stop pedaling, so now you're rolling and the back wheel is trying to turn your free hub, um, you know, clockwise. Oh. And that's going to want to turn mm. your cassette clockwise and that makes the top span of the chain very slack. And then you hit a bump and the chain just pops off. So it's it's just the speed that you're traveling in that. That's fascinating. Place. Okay. Yeah, so, so that's why you get a lot more chain drops typically on the road. Um, or you know, time trial with one by, even though you might have a one by specific ring, and that's why I still generally recommend to run a, a, a chain catcher just in case or the, the, the chain guide. 
Um, you can you can negate that sort of now that people sort of know where to look a little bit on that front. If they've maybe been trying one buy, they've got a one buy specific ring from might be some you know great places that do them like Aero Coach and Drag to Zero places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, have a look at that how much friction there is between your sort of back wheel and free hub. So you might need to adjust the seal, which you can do with a uh, carefully with a Dremel. Mm-hmm. Um, so you take the seal <laughs> off and you just shave a little bit off the seal lip until it's it's mint. Uh, that can obviously reduce your weather protection for your free hub. So you sort of have to weigh up yep. weather protection and sealing versus having less drag. <laughs> um, and also, you know, some free hub mechanisms are more, you know, they, they just literally have more drag than others. So um, higher engagement free hubs typically have more drag than lower engagement free hubs. But obviously the type of grease you've got in there, if you've got some really a whole bunch of pretty heavy-duty grease, that's going to create a lot more drag versus if you've got some um, really light free hub grease or uh, free hub oil. Mm. So um, that that's just an area to, to have a look if you really want to avoid uh, having to run, say, a, a, a chain catcher. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, like places like Aero Coach, Drag to Zero, Watch Shop typically do some some really like aero chain catchers or chain guides. So, um, uh, yeah, they're really worth a look um, and that whole segue sort of leading up to the fact that what I was mentioning before is that um, really with the safe, if someone's looking to get Shimano, uh, it's probably less of an issue uh, or, or a consideration to think, should I be forced to go one by uh, for the aero savings because that front mech is so small? Um, should I stick with two by? Mm-hmm. You're going to still save a little bit of aero. You've got one this chain ring that's going through the wind. Um, weight's really not much of a factor. Especially not in track. Yeah. And so not to, I can pick on SRAM so much, but the size of their Axis Road mech, it's like a, it's like a GoPro. It is enormous. So, <laughs> you know, if you're on Axis yeah. Road, then there's there's definitely more call to consider one buy, um, even if you're going to like a nice aero chain ca- chain guide or chain catcher, um, because that that mech is a block, big block um, that you're plowing through the wind at, at a good clip. Uh, so, um, and it's quite where it really comes. I guess this comes up a fair bit is that obviously due to the fact that the access road being wireless makes for such such a you know beautiful easy build it's it's very tempting and very common for access road to be built on you know very aero bikes which are your TT bikes and your you know very integrated cockpit uh, sure. aero road bikes and so the access yeah, road which tend to be the most the most yeah. pain in the ass to uh, to run cables through absolutely so that that's been a you know one of the main drivers for a lot of people to go access road um, because it's just so much easier to, to build um, and uh, you know especially for those big aero cockpit or sort of really integrated aero cockpit uh, bikes and TT bikes but yeah mm-hmm. th- there are other considerations such as you know the efficiency uh, re the um, you know, the size of the chain ring and the size of the cogs that you're going to be running for a given gear inches. And, right. yep, if you're running that front mech, it's it's definitely a pretty big mech um, to, to push through the wind at high speed versus um, some other options, especially now that uh, Shimano's out there. Uh, and we might as well finish the, um, the picking on SRAM um, section a bit while we're here <laughs> on efficiency. So <laughs> the other consideration, which yeah. I think was one of your questions uh, anyway, was, you know, how much sort of difference is there between chains? Yeah, right. Sure. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. I've got a follow-up question on the one by, but yeah, we can we can do chains first. All right, cool. So uh, yeah, so sort of compounding things a little bit. So if you've got smaller a smaller chain ring, which more you know, greater articulation, greater chain tension, greater articulation at the rear for a given gear inches. Sure. To minimize that, what you would want is obviously the lowest friction chain. You want to have you know the fastest chain that you can to minimize the penalty of those greater articulations. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and, and this is where unfortunately, so uh, it's brilliant from an, a durability standpoint. So the Axis Road chains are really um, quite outstanding from their longevity. Uh, but again, versus say your Durace chain uh, and Campy Twelve chain, it's it's quite a bit slower. So um, uh, we did some uh, testing, like when did the chain, the best chain project with Cycling Tips a couple of years ago with uh, with Dave Rome. We did get some data from uh, Ceramic Speed. Um, and that we've you know we've sort of got Durace chains. They're sort of typically around three watts, and the Axis Road chain sort of came out at like six and a half. So that's a that's a pretty oh, big wow. jump. So you've got sort of call it a three watt um, you know gap between your fastest mm-hmm. uh, chains that you can get and your uh, sort of Axis Road. So 
you've just got to, you know, these greater articulations that are just occurring under a, a less efficient uh, chain. And the reason, uh, one of the reasons we believe why the uh, strand chains tend to be a bit slower um, and a bit, I guess it's in that sort of perspective, it's, it's a fair bit, um, is they just run really, really tight tolerances on the chain, which is sort of part of the whole, Mm-hmm. makes them last a, a really long time before any sort of, you know, elongation wear shows up. But they're just, yeah, they're just re- really tight. So um, that makes sense. You know, in theory, they will free up a bit if you really look after a chain. Um, so it's not getting, you know, damage from contamination and so on. Um, SRAM chains, like when we sort of optimize SRAM chains, they have a much, much longer break-in than what you would do with, say, like a Durace chain or, or you know, Campy or YBN. Um, so... They, they should over time, if you really look after them, you've got a dedicated race chain, you have get one that's sort of, especially if you get one that's fully optimised, keep it mint um, and, you know, really sort of over time, uh, especially if you ride it in good conditions, it should it should improve. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of starting, um, you know, with a bit of a handicap, so to speak. It's three odd watts is, is a, you know, that's basically, it's basically around double um, a duration. So that's, that's a pretty substantial gap there. So... It's something that does, uh, you know, not to break if you're on Access Road and you spent a lot of money buy, buying an Access Road thing. We sort of put a few, pumped out a few points there uh, that do, I guess, maybe make someone not super uh, happy on that front. But, um, yeah, it's, there's, not, there's not really a way to sugarcoat it. When we're talking from a, an efficiency standpoint, you know, nothing else. We're not talking about how awesome the wireless right. is. We're not talking about how uh, amazing it is to build up a bike um, with, with Access uh, we're just yeah. looking purely at the efficiency side of things, which is sort of what I, I focus on in my little sphere. Then there's, yeah, there's just those points there that, that at the moment are not in um, the SRAM's favour versus, say, your Campion versus your uh, Shimano Dura-Ace. Uh, I, myself and others, yeah, we keep hoping that SRAM will move to the bigger rings and a bigger quad. They do have bigger rings now. But they're just super expensive. So I mean, the, the pros very quickly, oh, okay. yeah, sort of put their foot down on running the fifty thirty four. Um, they run um, obviously fifty four thirty eight. So they were made for the pros pretty much from the bat, and now they're released for the public. And we'd heard right from when it was first released, um, it, the the information back from you know, a lot of sort of top tech guys was that yeah, the first thing that they did was run 54 38 and locked out the 10 tooth so they're basically back to exactly where they were before with uh with the etap um <laughs> 11, 11 speed. speed so yeah. because yeah it was just a step forward in a lot of ways but not a step forward from a drivetrain efficiency which which really if you're bringing out a new group set you want things to be stepping forward in in every um in every way yeah that's a really important point that you make that it's it's it, it is a you know it is a little bit of a hit on the drivetrain efficiency which of course as you say it's it's your it's your area of focus and it's the it's the point of the conversation today but it's uh it's something that i i always try to encourage folks to look at is the bigger picture and if you know it means you can build up your bike easily it means you can you know you can make adjustments easily because you don't have to rewire a bunch of stuff if it means that you know there's 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 other you know if you like fiddling with your with your settings using your phone which i think the the new shimano group set does now too but uh there there are a lot of pluses to to stram for sure it's just this um, in this one specific case they they are not uh they're not they, you know they don't get the, the the kind of marks that their competition does so that's that is an important point to consider yeah yeah so yes yeah, so they do have some yeah like so those good points there and from the i guess a more of a cost to run and durability standpoint they really get some some points there mm-hmm. um be aware obviously if you're running the integrated power meter rings that you really really want to make those chain rings last so make sure you're running a top lubricant um choice as per the uh, episode in september because um even though their chain is very durable their rings are very durable uh like really impressively their chain ring durability um, if you run a chain too long and on a poor abrasive lubricant, you're still going to chew through them. You know, you get eight, ten thousand Ks in, you will chew through them, and that's a really expensive bill um, if you need to replace those rings. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just maximise the points like they got. They do have brilliant longevity of the parts, and you can maximise that obviously by making sure you're running uh, a top lubricant choice, and you'll get outstanding lifespan out of your drivetrain you know really a lifespan that will pretty much beat any of the other drivetrains so that they do have some really good points but yeah from that pure efficiency perspective definitely like to see them have 
more standard, the larger chain rings, not at an exorbitant price, which they are at the moment, so that people have more sort of readily available options to at least move things in a more efficient direction. Right. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, for TT, so back to the one-by thing, uh, yeah, the front mech for access, that's uh, that's something, that one. <laughs> Definitely worth considering one buy possibly. I didn't want to circle back to one buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one quick point for, you know, for listeners context and then a question for you, Adam. Uh, the first point, the you've mentioned uh, the, the term gear inches several times just to explain that. Um, so I'm ask, I'm going to ask you to explain it and then I'm going to offer the fact that there's there are all sorts of calculators online and I'll link to to one that I use that if you ever want to do this kind of optimization math um, uh, for yourself so that you can pick the right chain ring and the right cassette based on you know the power that you think you're going to be uh, putting down and the speed you think you're going to be traveling based on maybe some aerodynamic math that you've done so hit us up for aero math <laughs> listeners <laughs> then uh, then there's uh, there's some really good calculators out there that'll 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 help you do the math. But uh, uh, gear inches. What's a gear inch? So gear inch. So if you, for instance, had the uh, your um, chain in a chain ring and uh, cog combination that gave you a hundred gear inches, that basically means that for one revolution of your crank, one one cadence, that you would travel one hundred inches. So that's your gear inches. If it was a much lower gear and fifty um, gear inches, then one revolution of your crank is going to propel you forward fifty inches as opposed to one hundred. So. Most most bikes, their top gear will typically be somewhere around, say, 110 to 120 gear inches. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be sort of like your, um, you know, 50 to 11 will typically be sort of somewhere around 120 gear inches. So you'll go 120 inches of distance mm-hmm. for one revolution of your crank. And so when you're traveling at, at X speed, so you, let's say you're, you're, you know, not a bad sort of cyclist and you're tapping out a nice sort of 40 k's an hour in your, um, in your TT, and you're doing, you know, say 90 cadence, um, then you'll you'll be travelling, you know, obviously x, you know, inches per second or x inches per per cadence that you're turning, and um, you will have it in the right gear for that speed and for that cadence. Um, you, you you're going to obviously naturally fall into that particular um, gear that you need to to hit the cadence that you want at that speed, and it just helps if that gear happens to be in a larger chain ring and a larger cog for that, that those gear inches that you need at that time, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that's a really great explanation. And uh, rather than, you know, uh, busting out the pen and paper or the calculator, there are really handy online calculators. So if uh, listeners, if you are if you feel inspired to go out and buy yourself a, a 54, 55, 56, uh, you know, tooth chain ring now because you, you realize that it's it's more efficient, you can you can do the math for your next uh, for your next 40 KTT, figure out what that means for, you know, what sort of cog you're going to want on the back, given the, the speed you're going to be traveling with your gear inch calculator uh and then and then do the math and it's a it is a, a handy way to optimize your drivetrain and it's something that i'm willing to bet right now that 99 percent of us don't do and it's something that you know it's maybe a little bit uh a little bit esoteric and a little bit nerdy if you like but there's so many of us that that i mean i'm sure listeners to the show for example who who like tinkering and, and like this kind of optimization and it is a it is a worthwhile exercise, especially if you are in the market for a new drivetrain. For example, if you're if you're looking at well, you know, if you have chainring options, if you have, we always have cassette options, um, and uh, and this is this is a, a quite a worthwhile exercise to engage in. Some will come down to um, uh, you know rider preference a bit as well, in that some cyclists really need to stay at their happy cadence, um, so they might have mm-hmm. been training for a long time to have quite a fast cadence, and so. Like you'll see with a, with a lot of the pros that are running these really big chain rings like the 58s and 60s, they will pretty much, you can almost guarantee they'll be running a very wide range cassette because they need to have those bigger cogs brought down um, much more central in, in the cassette block. And um, that what that means obviously is bigger jumps in cadence. So now you often will have seen Tony Martin with a 60 tooth chain ring yeah, and an 1132 cassette. And for Tony Martin, there's no problems because if he needs to run 70 cadence for a bit because that's that's the gear he, he sort of has to push at the time, he's got the strength and the power to do mm-hmm. that, you know, for four hours if he needs to. He's he's he can power through anything. <laughs> whereas other cyclists say really, it's like yeah, he's Tony Martin. No, that's right. So whereas other cyclists say they they really don't want to drop below 90. If they sort of drop below 90, they really start to feel like they're grinding, 
and they can get some sort of fatigue set in if they're trying to push what for them is, is a really sort of bigger gear for for a certain period. Mm-hmm. And so some people are, are not very happy to have, you know, jumps of 10 to 15 cadence between gears, um, which is the penalty that you're going to have if you put that wider block cassette on. Yep. Um, if, if you really need to keep your cadence at, you know, a nice spinning 90, 95, 100, and you don't like big jumps, then you'll yeah, take that in, into consideration with that sort of, you know, chain ring size and, and rear cassette selection um, because it has to suit you. There's no point There's no point you saving, you know, a, a couple of watts in efficiency if it's just going to kill your legs because you're cycling in a way that you're not really sort of trained to cycle or it's just not your sort of forte to, to do that, so... That's a great point, and that's something that you know. Uh, I don't. I don't coach a lot of road cyclists. I have a couple, but like, uh, but mostly you know uh, triathletes. And one of the things we do, and usually it depends on the on the you know the kind of the a race course. And this is a training topic. This is, has nothing to do with drivetrain, but we train those cadences. You mm-hmm. have to train race yeah. power at race cadence. And so, even if it's going to be, you know, especially if we have, you know, if we've got races and there's a few of them which have uh, steady grades, which are, you know, sometimes quite long. And, you know, you're going to be, and maybe you're not the strongest cyclist in the world. And so, just to, you know, just to stay upright, even if you, if you, if you use your whole gear range and you're, you're on little big uh, and you're still, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to spend some time at a, you know, a, some some non-trivial portion of your of your threshold power working at a, a lower cadence than you're comfortable. That needs to be trained. So there's a there's a really good there's a really strong case in my opinion as you know my coach hat opinion to to train those cadences those race relevant cadences and then maybe you can tolerate those 10, 10 rpm jumps and and they don't phase you too too much yeah absolutely so it's always a case like i guess the golden rules is you sort of practice how you play so if you're planning to sometimes need to run mm-hmm. at 70 cadence or 75 because that's what you need for a particular period to push to push a gear then you need to be sort of trained to do that so if you don't ever practice it um it'll it'll bite you on obviously race day so for sure so uh, one last question I have for you, Adam, on the on the one by front, and this is kind of well, it applies to two by two. It's uh, how expensive is cross training, right? So this is something that you mentioned when we started talking about one buys, and you said that you know you you can it, it makes a lot of sense on maybe flatter TTs where you know you're not going to be spending a lot of time uh, at either end of the of the cassette range, which is of course optimal, but. Uh, what if you, you know, what if you miscalculate or maybe you, you've, you know, you, you inherited a one by or you built a one by without doing all the math and, and now you're doing a course which requires, you know, quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of shifting and you are going to end up uh, on the, on the end of the cassette range. How much does it hurt? Yeah, that's a really good one. And it's a bit interesting. There's, there's I have, I guess, had some sets of data on this that that don't really align um so i've had some data from one really good place which showed the penalty for cross training in the big ring to be not too bad um and the reason why it's not too bad in the big ring is that you you're, you are increasing i guess you're, you're introducing extra friction services by putting load on the side of the roller to the side of the inner plate link and also between the inner plate link and the outer plate link so you mm-hmm. this is where you're sort of introducing load into those surfaces which is basically just sort of side load you know rubbing of those surfaces which creates friction and it's friction that's you know it's obviously that's sort of taking away from energy that's able to propel you forwards uh further for that pedal stroke right but um with the the, on when you're in the big ring as you're cross chaining you're going to bigger cogs so you're kind of offsetting it a little bit Mm -hmm. by the fact that you're you know reducing the the chain articulation um so sort of one cancels out a little bit the other um jason smith of friction facts he did do some testing specifically on cross chaining and he had it that basically with a 53 28 that it was really only one watt greater loss versus basically the similar or same gear inch in the small chain ring however for when you were in the small chain ring if you're say for instance running small small you've kind of got a double penalty there because you're introducing some chain line angle, not as extreme as big, big, but you're also going to smaller cogs, um, which is, you know, making things worse. Right. And that sort of showed so small, small uh, was basically three watts higher versus the similar gear inches in the large chain ring. So hmm. it, the, the conclusion... So not too dramatic. In his testing, it wasn't too dramatic. And so the the overall advice from, from that testing was that in the large chain ring in general, the crossover point was basically from... Uh, cog three upwards so by the time you get to cog three 
rather than shift cog two or cog one, um, you should think about shifting to the small ring. Mm -hmm. And the other way that once in the small ring, once you got basically down to cog six, that was your sort of break even point. You shouldn't go any further down the, the cassette before going into the big ring. Right, so like the middle of the cassette, basically, at that point. Yeah, pretty much the middle, yeah. Um, now, there's going to be caveats to that. I like to personally hang on to the big ring. Sure. Um, you know, why am I going to change down when I can get through this you know, power climb in the next 10 to 20 seconds and then i got to shift back up again? So there are times where it's well worth wearing that sort of penalty. Um, but I have had some information from, so uh, listen to sort of Marginal Gains podcast by Josh Portner-Silker, who's also, you know, he's a guy who knows a hell of a lot about uh, all things efficiency and friction and mm -hmm. drivetrain, and so he's you know worked for decades with the top uh, pro teams, and he's quoted some sort of much higher uh, losses from I guess his own sort of research and data into cross training uh, that was well into the, sort of the multiple watts even for the, sort of the big big. Mm, okay. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't have that definitive answer because I've kind of got two different um, data information points from two very very clever <laughs> knowledgeable people in that space. Um, but let's say that you know. I, if I split the middle, let's sort of call it, it's going to be on average, say, two to three watts penalty in, say, the big ring um, running all the way up to the big cog. Um, there, there, there is going to be, again, caveats into that because, and this is where you have to be more careful with the bigger cassette that you run okay. because um, how much extra friction is introduced will um, vary quite a bit based on what the uh, I guess, your cog size is. So if you were running, say, 1123, best way to visualize it, let's say you had an 80-tooth um, rear cog is your maximum cog okay. um, on the back. If you were to put it in the big chain ring and into the 80-tooth cog, your chain would be running at damn near a 40-degree angle um, to try to make it from the off the edge of the big cog and onto your chain ring. You'd have an extreme chain line angle because the, the finish point of the, of the cog is so much closer to the obviously where your um, start point of the chain ring is. So you're going to have a super extreme chain line angle. Mm -hmm. So the, the final chain line angle that you have um, on, say, if you're running an 1130, 1132 cassette is going to be, you know, some, you know, a measurable, not, you know, still not crazy, but it's going to be a measurable bit different than versus if you're running an 1123. So your uh, cassette is going to play a role in how extreme your, uh, cross chain line angle is in big big if that makes sense it does yeah so if you run yeah so if you've got an 1123 cassette your big big chain line angle is not going to be anywhere near as extreme as if you're running an 1132 things are going to get really quite tight especially if you have a big chain ring so again this comes down to you know most people if they're running that broader range cassette the reason that they're doing so might well be because they've really plonked on a big chain ring. Mm -hmm. So now if you're increasing that diameter at the front with a, say, a 55 or a 56 or maybe even a 58-tooth chain ring and you've gone to a wide block cassette, now you've got, say, an 1130 or an 1132 cassette on, your big, big chain line angle is going to be way more extreme, for instance, than if you're running, say, a 50 or a 52 chain ring and an 1123 or an 1125 cassette. So there's going to be a really massive difference in your final chain line angle and how much penalty you're going to pay for that chain line angle so right it might be you know two watts for rider a and it could be five six watts for rider b depending on those those two factors and so this again really comes down to um you know you're going to pay a larger penalty for the chain line angles the less efficient your chain is so if you you're just running meh your random wet lubricant and it's you've hammered out your last 2,000 kilometers of training in it and it's fairly gritty and it's, you know, you maybe you've got a 8 or 10 watt chain, um, your penalty for cross-chaining is going to be a lot larger than somebody who is running a fully optimized wax chain that's somewhere between 3 and 4 watts mm -hmm. because, you know, all parts of that chain are just so super slippery that, you know, that introduced, you know, increased load between the sides of the rollers and the inner plate link and the inner plate link and outer plate link they're just going to be gliding over each other at such low friction as you introduce that that loading that your penalty is going to be very low, as opposed to them, you know, needing needing to articulate under load with a nice gritty abrasive high friction lubricant in between them. So, yep. So again, chain efficiency is your big friend to minimise the penalty that you're going to have for uh, periods where you're going to, you know, sometimes maybe need to to cross chain. And but yeah, it does to sort of bring it back to the, those ratios. It really does become important if you if you're going to be sort of 
it might be a bit of a hilly course or a course that maybe has one particular uh, hill in it and you're thinking one by and you're thinking big green and you're thinking wide range cassette, you know, just know that that chain line angle in big, big, when you've got a big ring and a big cog, it's going to be very extreme versus if you had a smaller ring and a smaller, uh, you know, largest cog on your cassette. So you really have to sort of balance that. This is a this is a perfect cake and eating it kind of uh, case, where you you know you do have to be a little bit a little bit selective yeah. and uh, that's more and that's that. the fun of it, right? I mean, yeah. if there was if there was a a one size fits all solution to everything, then we'd all be doing it, and uh, there'd be no fun in in having these kind of conversations. No, and, that's and right. Kind of thinking thinking kind of hard about this. Yeah, stuff. and you've got to think about it. So when you're weighing up, you know, what is this trade off going to be worth it for me? You really have you obviously have to think about it in terms of time, not distance. So you don't go, okay, cool. It's I've got a two k climb, and I'm going to grind it out in my fifty six thirty two, and because you know, then I've got you know, if we call it say a fairly short TT, like say let's say it's a fifteen k TT, but then say after that, I've got a pretty good stretch that's um that's going to be pretty flat, and I'm going to be able to really take advantage of my uh, big chain ring. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to weigh it up for a particular course and you know, wind and things like that is you know time. So how much time is that climb going to take you? If it's a 10% grade, 100%. then and it's going to take you, you know, X minutes because yeah, sometimes people get caught out um, thinking about it just in terms of distance um, and not factoring in how long it's going to take them. To cover that distance um, if it's sort of fairly hilly and it's really the obviously the time spent in that less optimal situation versus the time you're going to spend in the optimal uh, gear ratio situation that you need to weigh up the balance ultimately it's an energy question right it's like how much energy do you need to expend and since power is is energy divided by time the the time is critical you are i, I could not agree with you more on that yeah so it's more i guess time optimal versus time not optimal so how much how much time in not optimal are you willing to give up mm-hmm to have, um, you know, X amount of time in the optimal. And so normally in a lot of TTs, obviously with a, those guys, that they're hoping to get at least 80% of the TT um, right in that optimal zone of big ring, big cogs for the gear inches, straight chain line. That's that's the sort of the their Goldilocks zone that they're aiming for. They can wear up to sort of 20% out of that really optimal zone and hopefully not too much of it uh, at extreme um, angles where things are going to be, definitely throwing away uh, some what's in the multiple uh, sort of number value. Um, whereas if you're looking at, okay, this TT, I, I could spend up to, you know, sort of over 20% of it in a really extreme chain line angle. Um, okay, should I consider uh, a different ratio for that to try to keep things more optimal more of the time? So, yeah, less penalty. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes perfect sense. So, um, Adam, this has been awesome. Uh, as always, uh, you know, always learning something, always uh, always discovering a piece of tech or a piece of information or or a consideration that I didn't know. Uh, the the chain drops on road. That's what that's what blew my mind. This conversation, the uh, the high we- the high rear wheel speed causing chain drops. That was something that I'd never even. Well, what blew my mind about that whole situation was I could not believe after say the first two. I just cannot believe that they didn't run a chain catcher or a chain guide. Um, because yeah. yeah, it's, it's one of these things where it's kind of like, if I know it, um, and other people, um, you know, know it, then how would the team mechanics and team management and so on sort of not twig that after the first two, maybe three, you know, chain drops that, okay, like just for the sake of it, we're trying to drive this one by, um, and overall we think, we think we're, we've got something good, but we've had some chain drops, just take, take the, um take the risk out of it put a 20 gram aero chain uh, guide on there from drag to zero or um you know uh, aero coach and it, it's problem solved there are no more chain drops I, I just couldn't believe that they just kept going um <laughs> that sort of taking that step <laughs> and it because it turned into a massive debacle between um 3t and uh, and aqua blue yeah uh over the fact that at the end of the day it could have all been resolved very early by um a fairly cheap, fairly light, and pretty aero uh, part. So that was what that was the bit that really uh, got me. Um, <laughs> that, that it sort of kept going. So that was uh, that's been a sort yeah. of fun little side saga in cycling. But um, yeah, I think I, you may have covered this in the past, but something that uh, sort of usually cover off with people who are looking to go fast uh, on road uh, is um, the rule one hundred and five of aerodynamics. I don't know if you've covered that before. Just as final, no. final finishing bits. So it's it's something that is seen. Please, yeah, tell us. Yeah, it's something you see a fair bit these days, with the, especially with the advent of wider rims, um, and people then sort of run, you know, really wide 
grippy, comfortable ties. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, everyone can sort of either look up on just Google. There's a great article on it. Um, it's basically the by Josh Portner again. And he's a guy who pretty much knows his stuff, obviously. 20 years head engineer at, for Zip, developing super fast wheels. But obviously, your wheel and tire is a, is a, it's a package. It's a combo. And basically, the rule is that your tire should be 5% less the width of your rim. Or basically, your rim should be 105% the width of your tire. That's the rule 105. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a really uh, great YouTube video that really steps through it at all. And it's got all the some great um, wind tunnel test data to show it. But basically, if your tire, the bulge of your tire is wider than your rim, then the air has a mm-hmm. lot of trouble staying, you know, getting a nice laminar flow over the tire and rim. And so sometimes when people push that to an extreme, like if you're running some sort of, you know, uh, fulcrum racing zeros or durace you know c24 rims you know, so it's a really <laughs> shallow rim and you've got the tire bulging out over the rim yeah you know it's, it, that's okay but if you're if you've spent you know four and a half thousand dollars on some aero wheels and the tires bulging out past the rim pretty much destroying the vast majority of that rim's ability to actually be aero then that's not your best option so um, make sure your tire at worst uh, is as wide as your rim preferably five percent thinner and it's also a lot more stable. Mm-hmm. So we've had um, a number of people where they've really had trouble handling their aero rims. Uh, they've gone to the right tyre size, so made sure it's um, no wider than the rim, and all of a sudden it's just so much more stable. So um, because what's happening with that all that turbulent air when it comes off the, uh, the bulge of the tyre is it then has a really big rim surface to buffer on or buff it around. So especially when you're descending and uh, gusty winds, um, you can have a real handful if you've got a tyre that's bulging out past your aero rim. So both for aerodynamic efficiency and for handling, uh, that really, really helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, yeah, tyre pressures are pretty critical as well. So um, another one by, by Josh because he's got just tens of thousands of data points from, from his athletes over the last two decades um, behind his tyre pressure calculator. So um, use the Silka tyre pressure calculator uh, to help guide your uh, tire pressures, because yeah, again, so many people run far too high a pressure, and the penalty for running too high a pressure is much greater than erring on the side of too low. That's a conversation we've had before with uh, with um, uh, John Thornham of Flow. He's uh, he's yeah. paralleled some of Josh's research, and I know they work quite close together. But yeah, the the 105 percent rule. We uh, yeah, it's been it's been on our radar. We haven't actually had a a wheel or a tire person on the show in uh, in a very long time. So it's actually mm. you're you know jogging my memory. We should we should we should. Uh, I'll reach out to Josh again. Uh, I think we yeah. I, I asked him about a year ago and. He was too busy then, but uh, yeah, yeah I'll, uh, I should reach out to him again to see if he if he wants to come on and talk about wheels and tires because um, that's that's an excellent point that uh, there's there's uh, there are things to be found everywhere and you know improvements little the, these little marginal gains to be found everywhere and that's of course the title of Josh's po- podcast yeah um, and some of them are quite easy and some of yeah, them are absolutely. are not a lot of work yeah, especially when you see people spending big money on uh, their aero wheels that. You know, don't undo that great investment in your beautiful aero wheels by just plonking a massive wide tire on. It's just going to completely uh, undo that, <laughs> that investment. So get the get the aero benefit that you paid for, and just sort of stick within that rule. So that that one's a yeah, yeah super important one. Totally. So uh, let's put a little bow on the on the conversation we had today on the on the, the 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 few questions I had for you. So listeners, your your takeaway for the day, uh, if I can summarize it in a, in a couple of sentences, is always always run the most optimized chain that you can if you're if you're going to be if you're interested in going fast because it's going to help you in every every scenario. If you've got if you're cross chaining, if you're if you've got a beautiful chain line, if you've got big rings, little rings, if you whatever whatever the case may be, a fast chain is always going to make you a little bit faster um uh, once you've done that uh bigger chain rings and bigger cogs mean fewer articulations so that makes you go faster with whatever lube you have and whatever chain you have uh provided of course you don't end up in a in a very big very big combination which creates maybe potentially some fairly high friction losses when you are cross-chaining if you do have to cross-chain um Sorry, SRAM, but your <laughs> your smaller cogs and smaller chain rings right now, uh, coupled with your slightly slower chain, are not the are not currently the winning combination. But it sounds like you're making strides in that direction. Um, and what else? Did I miss anything, or did I? Does that like is that a, a quick a good quick summary, Adam? Yeah, no, I think that's that's pretty much covered it off there. So yeah, I think um, yeah, overall, 
like, yeah, <laughs> maybe Sram will send me angry emails or um, Ceramic Speed will send me ang- angry emails saying, <laughs> I can't believe you use that, that tank data. But, um, yeah, I, I think hopefully, hopefully it, it is slowly changing, but with more customer pressure uh, on them, really the chain ring size and cog sizes that they will hopefully one day move to, um, you know, the larger, um, you know, 5438s as a standard with a with an 11 uh, tooth smallest cog. Yeah. And they should make a time trial chain. So um, I think they would have the resources and ability to make a time trial chain. So they can have their existing chains mm-hmm. as a brilliant chain for training because they're super hardy. Um, but bringing out something that's you know really ripping fast for those that want to race. Um, so um, just to sort of take that that sort of sting in the tail a little bit off um, the situation with their existing chain. So uh, and that's only going to change if 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 SRAM got ten thousand emails to say, hey, I want big rings um, <laughs> at a reasonable cost and I want cassettes that have an 11-tooth cog as the smallest and I want a time trial chain, um, then they would probably start to look at, <laughs> look at doing so more quickly. There you go, listeners. There's your call to action. Uh, email your, your local SRAM, uh, SRAM dealer or, or SRAM, SRAM head office. Uh, and here's another call to action. Check out uh, Zero Friction Cycling, which, of course, is Adam's, uh, Adam's website and Adam's uh, shop for some awesome uh, optimized chains uh, that, that he, he does in-house. I don't know how, what his backlog currently is, so maybe I shouldn't be telling you to check out his optimized chains. <laughs> um, and also read all of his, all of his resources. And, uh, and here's, a, here's a tip. If you have a question about, uh, about uh, immersive waxing uh, or ultrasonics, don't send him an email. Read the guides first before you send him an email, <laughs> and then only then can you can you send him can you send Adam questions about uh, about hot waxing because the the guides are exhaustive and are really 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 good. Um, on and again that's that's on the Zero Friction um, website. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and uh, Adam, you've got a YouTube channel and uh, and an Instagram as well, which we'll link to um, in our show notes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So the YouTube channel is pretty uh, pretty new, so um, haven't got uh, sort of too much uh, engagement on that yet. So trying to get um, some engagement on the YouTube uh, will be brilliant, just to try to get over time uh, the information from Zero Friction Cycling, which is just, I guess, at the end of the day, it's um, I work very hard to make sure that the information is. Uh, you know, it, it's from tangible, robust, objective data, uh, either from my own testing, you know, and also from networking with um, people who are much smarter than I in in a lot of areas. Um, as opposed to, there's just so much information out there on a lot of other channels. Some of them pretty big, yeah. uh, where the content is obviously sponsored or it's just literally pulled out of somewhere um, <laughs> with absolutely zero, uh, you know, testing or data or anything to back it. And uh, and I do spend mm-hmm. a bit of time uh, helping people sort of correct things when when they've sort of gone down a path that they've been led from from some yeah information content that, that hasn't been amazing. So over time, getting hopefully zero friction cycling uh, info to sort of rank up a bit um, on the you know when people start to surf around YouTube uh, versus some of the other channels will will really help um, yeah save people a bunch of watts and drivetrain wear and. Uh, and that's so yep that'll be excellent if they can uh, get on on that front again it's it's all just about trying to uh yeah get get uh, i guess the best information out really to as many people as as we can so uh that's that's the fun part yeah that's one thing that i uh you know i think i mentioned this uh, when when i introduced you in our last conversation in september early september but um yeah the one of the one of the things that i really like about about your outfit and what you do adam is that you're you're not affiliated with anyone you know you don't you don't have a specific uh you know uh product to push you're you're an equal opportunity discriminator i suppose <laughs> against uh against against brands uh, or, or or supporter of brands based on the evidence that you see in your testing and that's uh that's very that's refreshing and super not common right there's not a lot of there's not a lot of other other um places that i can think of you know now the friction facts of course is uh is part of ceramic speed that uh, that are independent in the way that you are and uh, i couldn't uh, i couldn't agree more with what you said about the value of of elevating this kind of independent um you know almost like journalism, I would call it, uh, or testing, I suppose, uh, because this is something that, uh, that, that really, you know, that, that helps, uh, more objective reality disseminate through the ranks rather than, than, uh, than, um, you know, information that has some kind of, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, product to sell at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, it's just so hard for consumers to know 
out of all the marketing that that's pumped out because you know, obviously brands have to market they they need For a sure. way to yeah. try to differentiate you know why you should buy their product over a competitor and and so it's a pretty big sort of clamor fest about um what can they tell you that's going to cut through to you to try to um to get you to buy their product versus everyone else who's sort of clamoring to try to tell you um you know something equally uh, as cut through to try to get get you on over to them and uh, it's just sometimes the claims just don't really match um you know what we sort of see in the, in the testing and it, it obviously helps uh, i think you know hopefully helps a lot to you know, have some sort of independent assessment on what claims that are being made uh, really sort of stand up and when we can highlight uh, manufacturers that are bringing out products where the, the product really matches what their claims are um, and again, really sort of holding some accountability to products and manufacturers where the claims, you know, appear to be wildly apart from you know what we sort of see in the in the performance from the testing. And so, just to really try to help guide, you know, which which products you can choose with with confidence, because it's sort of you know sort of independently assessed that yep, we're very confident with the, the claims and and the reality on that versus really concerned with the, the claims and the reality, uh, because it's very hard to do that by yourself just reading one website's claims uh, or product claims versus another, you're going to see sure. amazing uh, claims and in some cases some pretty flashy-looking testing uh, that they have to substantiate those claims. But obviously, yeah, that testing is usually not independent. Um, and so, yeah, it's a it's a tricky world out there and um, I don't have a shortage of work to try to <laughs> <laughs> sort of clarify that. So, for yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, for I'm sure. pretty set for, uh, for tasks ahead for a while. So... <laughs> Well, with, uh, you know, I mean, especially given that, uh, given all that, given that workload, I say, again, thank you uh, for, for taking the time to, to share a little bit of the knowledge that you've accumulated over the years. Um, and folks do check out, as I said, uh, the Zero Friction Cycling website, the YouTube and the Instagram channels, which uh, will be linked to in the show notes. And from, uh, for me at Endurance Innovation, thank you as always for spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, hopefully you learned something. And honestly, uh, I think I, I'm, I'm probably repeating myself because I'm pretty sure I said this last time we spoke. If you didn't learn anything in this conversation, I want you to I want you to um, to email me because I want you to be the next guest on the show. Because uh, I uh, I would I, I'm willing to bet that that's th- those those people are few and far between uh, in our listening public. Um, so yeah, keep listening, keep tuning in. If you did and if you did learn something, uh, tell a friend share the show uh give us a rating and a review on itunes consider supporting us on patreon uh and we are there at patreon.com slash endurance innovation thanks everyone